Less than two years since Canadians handed the Liberals a minority government, we're heading back to the polls again. Justin Trudeau hopes to see his party win a majority, despite many wondering whether there's any need to take Canadians to the polls now. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post columnist and Ottawa Bureau Chief John Iveson joins me to discuss Trudeau's motivation to call an election, what issues this race could focus on, and what's at stake for his main opponents Jagmeet Singh and Aaron O'Toole. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, John, after weeks of speculation, it's now go time. We're off to the races, whether we like it or not. So I want to start off with the most basic question first. Why? (laughs) Why are we doing this now? That will be the first question that the media asks Justin Trudeau, too. And uh, I hope he's got a better answer than I've got. I mean, it's obvious why. And that the Liberal Party wants to regain its parliamentary majority. Justin Trudeau does not like being fettered by Parliament. In my opinion, he has been fairly unfettered. Put it this way, he managed to get a budget through that promises to spend $143 billion of borrowed money. So his agenda has not exactly been uh, curtailed by the opposition. But there have been incidents where the opposition have united and defied him. Uh, If you remember back last March when he proposed his first COVID response and he wanted a considerable period of being able to borrow and tax and spend without Parliament's approval. And Parliament said no, and he had to go back and think again. I don't think Justin Trudeau likes being told to go back and think again at any time. So that's why we're going to the polls. What do you suppose this election is going to look like over the next few weeks? Is it going to solely be a vote on the Trudeau government's pandemic performance and getting the economy back on track after we're out of this mess? Or do you suppose it's going to center on something else? It remains to be seen yet, Dave, because I think that Trudeau is going to say, I need a mandate to build back better. You know, quite frankly, the money that is going to be used to build back better has already been approved by Parliament in the form of the budget implementation bill that went through. I guess he's going to try and claim that he needs a mandate from the people, but it seems to me that unless he's going to propose $100 billion of new spending, which I suppose is entirely possible, that he already has that mandate. I think inevitably it becomes a bit of a referendum on the government's performance during the pandemic. I know that the opposition parties, particularly the Conservatives, are not going to want to talk too much about the pandemic because certainly at the moment, the amount of vaccine that Justin Trudeau's government has secured seems to be more than enough. I think if that had gone badly wrong for the government, they would have been in real trouble because Mm -hmm. prior to the vaccine flooding in in March and April and May, there was a shortage of vaccine. We hadn't done very well on rapid testing. The borders had not been uh, secured in the way that they should have been early on. You know, it was a very, very mixed record on the pandemic. You look at some of the more provincial issues like long-term care homes, you know, Canada hadn't had a particularly good pandemic. I think all of that is forgotten by the electorate as soon as the majority of people are vaccinated. And if you go out and ask people now, they are generally comfortable where the government's at. They're generally comfortable with the direction in which the country is heading. Justin Trudeau, I imagine we'll want to talk about how he's been there for Canadians when they need him, especially through the pandemic, you know, the Canadian emergency response benefit, the Canadian recovery benefit, the wage subsidy, all of that. But looking back to things he said he was going to do, 
you know, like balancing the budget, like getting clean drinking water to First Nations communities. Are there areas where he says he's been there for Canadians and he hasn't, and he's vulnerable to attacks from Jagmeet Singh and from Aaron O'Toole? I don't think any of these leaders are going to be thrown back to things that were prior to the 2019 election. Mm-hmm. If they didn't bring him down then, then they're not going to bring him down now. You've really got to, as an opposition leader, I think, propose that you are better placed to lead Canada forward. I think that's the way that people's minds are turning now. You know, I don't think O'Toole's going to be talking too much about the pandemic. Singh might throw back to the fact that look at the way in which the NDP ensured that you got more in terms of recovery benefit than you would have got under the Liberals. You know, I think that from Singh's point of view, the status quo where he holds the balance of power is the ideal position to be in. And I think he will be trying to perpetuate that situation. I mean, obviously, he would like to be prime minister. That seems to be unlikely, although not impossible if he catches fire. But uh, if he can't be prime minister, then at least holding the balance of power is his goal. Looking at the opposition party, specifically Jagmeet Singh, there's a lot at stake for him. He spent the last couple of years, as you say, helping the prime minister have unfettered control in the House of Commons and propping up the government. How does he distance himself now that he's in an election campaign? I know that in the lead up, he was talking about how, you know, Canadians don't want this, trying to play up the distaste for an election right now. But how does he separate himself from a government he so closely worked with? That's going to be hard for him. I mean, there is a, a lesson in history where NDP governments got too close to governing liberal governments. In the mid-70s, uh, Pierre Trudeau's government was propped up after the 72 election by David Lewis's NDP. And by the following election in 1974, it was the NDP who got the blame for everything that went wrong and none of the credit for what went right. And they were reduced to half their caucus in that 1974 election and Trudeau won his majority back. Now, that's a very cautionary tale for Singh going into this election because you know it's it's not impossible the same thing may happen but I have to say it doesn't look like that's what's going to happen it looks like Singh's pretty popular leader in the country he has got credit for some of the more progressive policies that Trudeau has followed he hasn't got the blame for the things that have gone badly wrong so you know I think they're in a pretty good position the the other thing that's going to benefit the NDP this time around is that in every election I've covered I think this is the seventh In the final days of the campaign, when the Conservatives have looked like they might win, the Liberals try and scare the dippers. They say, you might want to vote NDP, but if you don't want a Conservative government, you've got to back the Liberal Party. If the Conservative Party is not a threat to win government, which pretty much a consensus of polls suggested is not, then that might free up NDP voters to vote for who they want to vote for. And if they do... That potentially creates voter splits that could benefit the Conservative Party. I mean, there are a lot of seats where 1% or 2% more for the NDP would have elected a Conservative. And we saw in, in the last election that the, the NDP vote fell 2 to 3% in the final week of the campaign in Ontario. Now, looking ahead to voting day, is there a benchmark for Jagmeet Singh to hit to justify staying on as leader? I know that, you know, his predecessor, Tom Mulcair, just got one election, but... Prior to him, you had Jack Layton, who's very popular, managed to stick it out as leader, despite not necessarily faring his party very well up until the 2011 election. Yeah, there was always a sense with Jack that he was building towards something. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny, but Jagmeet Singh came out of the the last election claiming victory because, I mean, it did look at one point like they were going to get wiped out. And then his performance in the debates, I think he campaigned very well. 
and they came out with a respectable result, but they still lost a lot of MPs. So I think if he keeps the same number of MPs or adds to it, he's in good shape. Obviously, if he's decimated in the way that David Lewis was in 1974, his position is kind of untenable. But, I mean, all the signs at the moment are pretty positive for the NDP. They're doing pretty well in the polls. Their fundraising seems to have recovered from its all-time lows. I mean, Singh is not a great strategic thinker, I don't think, but he seems to have stabilized the party that really was in freefall. Looking at the other side of the aisle, you have the Conservatives under Aaron O'Toole. And in 2019, under Andrew Scheer's leadership, the party managed to win more votes than the Liberals, but not in the right areas to win more seats. Has Aaron O'Toole positioned himself well enough to win seats in the right areas to make a dent against Justin Trudeau? I think that his real problem is time. I mean, all of the polling is dismal reading for the Conservative Party. You know, most polls have them at least 10 points down on the Liberals. People seem to be generally satisfied with the way the country's heading. O'Toole's positive impressions have flatlined since he was elected leader. His negative impressions have doubled, which um, I find strange because he hasn't really done anything that would upset that many people. My taken it really is that rather than being unliked he's unknown Mm -hmm. and to be known is going to require probably more time than he's got i do think that people are going to do a double take and maybe reassess their opinion of him once they see him in action particularly in a debate i mean i think he will probably shine in a debate and maybe from his point of view it's not a terrible thing that the expectations are pretty low yeah but it's a long way back from where he is right now and he's not a great politician, to be honest. I mean, he's not a magnetic personality like Pierre Poiliev. I was comparing the two this week. I mean, Poiliev, you either like or hate, but he's a kind of energetic, dynamic figure when it comes to communications and promotions. You know, he simplifies issues. For example, he's been criticizing the Bank of Canada for stoking inflation and printing money. You know, would Pierre Poiliev as prime minister intervene in the governance of the Bank of Canada? No, he wouldn't, but that doesn't matter. Those are things you worry about after you've been elected. Mm-hmm. He's presenting problems and presenting himself as the solution to those problems in a way that O'Toole is not because O'Toole's more nuanced. He realizes he might actually have to implement some of these policies so you can't be quite as brazen as a populist politician like Polyev. O'Toole is not that populist. And I think it hurts him at times like now when he's got to uh, try and win support in a very short space of time. Is he facing the same kind of fate that, say, uh, Stefan Dion or, or Michael Ignatieff is facing, like where the party just figures, okay, you couldn't do this one time. We're not going to wait for you to improve. We're just going to get rid of you. I think that's a very real risk for him. I mean, it's a risk for any leader, and it's very early to make that call. And at the moment, you know, if the election was tomorrow and the polls are correct, then I think that's exactly what would happen. I have a sneaking suspicion that the floor of conservative support is higher than the polls are suggesting. I mean, in 2000, Stockwell Day's Canadian Alliance got 25% of the vote and Joe Clark's Progressive Conservatives got 12%. So, you know, if you added those together, you're in potentially winnable position. And that, and that was when they lost mm-hmm. quite heavily. So is the Conservative Party going to record a 25% support, as the polls suggest, and they lose a, you know, a shed load of MPs? I guess it's possible. I suspect that's not what's going to happen. People who are nominally Conservatives might not love O'Toole. And the way that he's, you know, in inverted commas, moderated the party. He's trying to appeal outside the base of traditional conservative supporters, and that's upset some conservatives. But while they may not be over the moon about him, they don't want Justin Trudeau to get a majority either. Yeah. 
Conservatives will be fairly motivated to get out there. But I think it's going to be a pretty low turnout because for exactly the reason when we came in, we were certain, why? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people are going to go, well, you know, things are going okay. As with Pearson in 65, you know, the Liberals don't really need a majority to do what they're doing. They're, they're doing okay. And we quite like the fact that uh, the NDP are there to support them when they're doing progressive things and, and not support them when they're overreaching. You know, if you've got a, an enthusiasm gap like that, you might have a low turnout and the most motivated people might be the Conservative supporters. I know we don't talk about them as often in the Western media, you know, west of Quebec and just in general, but do the Bloc Québécois or the Green Party pose any threat here to what Justin Trudeau wants, what Jagmeet Singh wants? Do they prevent any of these parties from really making any gains? Uh, the Greens, uh, I mean, you know, imploded a month before an election. I can't imagine that, that helps their electoral prospects. They may be a factor on Vancouver Island. Somebody was telling me today that PEI in Charlottetown is a very good Green candidate. They do very well in PEI. You know, on the margins, they may have an impact. I suspect that their vote will splinter and not all go to the NDP and not all go to the to the Liberals. So that will probably even itself out if they do lose votes. So, you know, I think that that's kind of a wash. The block, it's darkly amusing to watch uh, Blanchette and Trudeau and even Nairn O'Toole to some extent try to get close to uh, Francois Legault in Quebec, <laughs> very popular provincial premier and They've all been falling over themselves to be nice to him. Trudeau has been the most nice to him because he's just given him $6 billion for childcare, which he doesn't even have to spend on childcare. It boggles the mind that the way this, this country works sometimes. But because of Quebec's role in Confederation, the childcare deal that was, has been offered to all the provinces has to be offered to Quebec as well, even though Quebec has the system of childcare that the government wants to introduce elsewhere. So it then gives them $6 billion essentially to do whatever they want which, uh, you know, frankly, I'm in Quebec and I require daycare and I still find it hard to believe. <laughs> so that will probably go down well with Quebecers. They like it when governments spend money on them. None of those party leaders said boo when Legault introduced his French language bill that deems Quebec a nation and French the only language used in Quebec. The bloc's raison d'etre has always been more about protecting Quebec's interest in recent years than it has been about Quebec independence and another referendum. And I think Trudeau's done a pretty good job at convincing Quebecers that he would protect those interests himself. So I suspect that uh, the Liberals are going to do pretty well in Quebec. Earlier, you mentioned that overall Canadians are kind of happy with where we're at in terms of the pandemic. You know, we after some vaccine shortages, we have vaccines, you know, we're kind of at a good place, but the pandemic is kind of rearing its head again, just as we're yeah. heading to the polls where the influx of the Delta variant, you know, looking at a couple things, the prospect of a safe campaign and a safe election day, what is our health official saying about the safety of a campaign? And then secondarily, how does a pandemic factor into a campaign? Good, good questions, Dave. I mean, uh, from the safety factor, I think we're going to see a huge boost in mail-in votes, which, you know, I was chatting with my team today about uh, election night coverage. Well, it may very well be we don't get the result on election night. I think we're going to see a huge increase in mail-ins. You know, even covering the campaign is going to be, I think, you know, I'm due to be on these campaign planes and buses. I mean, the first case of COVID on that bus, and I would imagine everybody's going to scatter to the four winds. <laughs> so the campaigns may be very different. I suspect they'll be far less intense than they've been 
probably not going to as many places. Obviously, most events outdoors, if you can do them, and maybe less media coverage. So it's going to be a different kind of campaign, particularly if this Delta variant really grabs hold. As far as the impact on the result, I mean, you're right. I mean, at the moment, everything is fairly rosy. I mean, the number of cases is 1,500 across the country, something somewhere of that magnitude. But it's increased 65% on the previous week. Mm -hmm. You only need a few of those weeks of exponential growth and you've got pressures for lockdowns and more restrictions. You know, if the mood in the country changes, then Trudeau may very well rue the day that he called the election. None of that is predictable. And obviously the vaccination rate means that while the number of cases is rising steeply, the number of hospitalizations is not. But it is a big risk for them that another wave could sweep in just as we're going to the polls. Well, I know it's something that we'll all be paying close attention to and hopefully we'll be touching base with you as the campaign unfolds. John, thanks for your time. Great. Thanks a lot, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, John Iveson. More from him and more election coverage at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.